Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. institution here and to all the faculty and staff who are present, many of whom have greeted me today, and to the students who are gathered here for this chapel service, we're grateful to God for you today. Pray with me. Lord, help us to take by grace divine yet more and more of that great love of thine, that day by day our hearts may give to thee a deeper love and grow more constantly. Give bread to every eater, give seed to this sower, and cause your word to go forth and accomplish that for which thou hast intended it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A little girl asked her mother, how did life begin? The mother shared with her how God made Adam and Eve and through them all human beings. Two days later, she asked her father the same question. He responded about how lizards, great dinosaurs, and apes evolved into human beings. Confused, the little girl went back to her mother and told her what her father had said. Her mother quickly responded and said, I told you about my side of the family. He told you about his. I would like to share this morning for a few moments about my side of the family. There's a passage the Lord has placed in my spirit from the eighth Psalm, stanzas one through six, and I want to read it. I want us, if you would, stand with me as we reverence the word of God. And I believe it's on the screens as well. I'll be reading this from the New King James Version. It reads, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. As we look at this passage, I want to share a little bit about seeing ourselves as God sees us. Seeing ourselves as God sees us. Each month, while reading through the Psalms, it is a discipline that I've practiced 
for years now. Each month while reading through the Psalms, on or around the second day of the month, I find myself captivated with wonder by the melodious march and majestic mood of the eighth Psalm. It is categorized by biblical scholars as a hymn of praise and shares this distinction with at least five other Psalms in our Bible. Psalm 19, 29, 65, Psalm 104, and Psalm 139. Psalm 8 is a perpetual and persistent witness that David, who is identified as the author of this psalm, was captivated to. He erupted in passionate praise while looking up at the evening sky, sprinkled and spotted with shining stars, glistening against the dark background of a Palestinian night. Their beauty and brilliance paid galactic tribute to the might and majesty of their creator. The marvel of that magical moment awakened an awareness in David. In the aftermath of that one shining moment, Wonder became worship, and worship became witnessing as David turned inward and began reflecting on his relationship, his personal relationship to God, who he believed had set sun, moon, planet, and stars in the sky. He began to see himself as God saw him. His meditation and reflection quickly transported him from God's greatness in creation to God's grace in redemption. We see a similar transition in another psalm that he authored. Psalm 36, stanza 6 through 7 says, Your righteousness is like the highest mountain. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love. Oh God, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. What can we learn from David's experience recorded in this text? What happens when we see ourselves as God sees us? Would you like to know? First of all, there's our duty. First, when we see ourselves as God sees us, there will be a new or renewed focus on our duty, responsibility, or purpose for being. According to David, God who created the starry heavens, the green earth, and all living beings desires our worship. God's response to the enemy, whether adversary, antagonist, or avenger, is the praise According to this psalm, the praise and adoration of children. The text says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing children have God ordained strength. This sounds like the paradox and the principle that the Apostle Paul shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, when he says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. 
Should we be surprised today? In the Bible, God spared the infant Moses to liberate a nation. God chose Samuel as a child to be the first judge of Israel. God used David, just a young boy, to slay the menacing and towering giant Goliath. God used a child's meager lunch to miraculously feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And at the apex of human history, the humanity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born as an infant in a stable in Bethlehem to give his life for the sins of the world. God uses, in this passage, children to give praise and adoration to his name, and God can use you and me too. Somehow children, in their innocence, honesty, transparency, and vulnerability, imitate, emulate, and exude the humility and the hunger that characterizes what one of the historic confessions of our faith, of the Christian faith, say, is the whole duty of man and woman, which is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As a father of four children and grandfather of 10, 10 grandchildren ages 19 to 3, I can testify that even in their naivety, children make us laugh, give us joy, and become our models and mentors. It is reported that a child was asked by her Sunday school teacher to write a report on the first three chapters of Genesis. The child diligently completed the assignment and gave her report to the teacher. Her report said, in the beginning, which occurred near the start, there was nothing but God, darkness and some gas. The Bible says the Lord thy God is one, but I think he's a lot older than that. Anyway, God said, give me a light, and someone did. Then God made the world. He split the Adam and made Eve. Adam and Eve were naked, but they weren't embarrassed because mirrors hadn't been invented yet. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating one bad apple so that they were driven from the Garden of Eden. And then she wrote, not sure what they were driven in, though, because they didn't have cars. According to David, children would serve as the trumpeting tribunals of God's glory and creation. Well, childlike wonder and worship, as we consider the worlds his hands have made, we can exercise this duty as well. Then there's our dignity. In the second instance in our text, when we see ourselves as God sees us, there's our dignity. We acknowledge not only our duty, but we embrace our dignity. In the New English translation of stanza four, of which I read this morning, David asked, of what importance is the human race that you should notice them? Of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them? As David looks into the mirror 
that the majesty and magnificence of God's undeniable imprint and signature on the created order unveiled in his spirit, he answered the same questions he raised. The words human race and mankind in this passage translates words in the original language that alludes to human weakness, frailty, and insignificance. Our dignity is inherently endowed because we have been made, according to this passage, a little lower than the angels. Some translations say a little lower than God. And we've been crowned, crowned with glory and honor. According to the Bible, you and I are imago deus. That's Latin for made in God's image. Every life here, every life has value, meaning, and significance because God, who is not lonely, made us to have fellowship with him. There's a reason why we are appalled by the human suffering and carnage precipitated by Russia's unprovoked attack on the sovereign country of Ukraine. The author here, and in concordance with Psalm 139, acknowledges that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're somebody, you and I, because we're God's children. We're made in his image. He gives us so much thought that the Bible says in the Gospels that the very hairs of our head are numbered. God made us with minds to know him, with hearts to love him, and wills to obey him. We are originals and not copies. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm an original. I'm an original. To know God, to know God is life's greatest treasure, and to worship God is life's greatest pleasure. It's the truth of what the Apostle John declared on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. We're not junk. God made us. And by your will, they exist and were created. When we see ourselves as God sees us, we see our duty. He desires our worship. We see our dignity because we're made in his image. We're all originals. We're not copies. But then there's another movement in the text, the final one. It's our destiny. Finally, when we see ourselves as God sees us, we not only exercise our duty and embrace our dignity, but we celebrate our destiny. The last stanza in our text says, not only did God make the first man in his image, but he says, you've been crowned. With glory and honor, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things, all things under his feet. When God created man and woman in Genesis, according to the Bible, he assigned them dominion, authority, rulership. In other words, they were given a mandate to rule together and to have dominion over the created order. 
But in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve yield to temptation, ate forbidden fruit, and forfeited the birthright because of their sin and disobedience. This psalm is a messianic psalm, meaning that it is associated with and anticipates the ministry of Jesus Christ who came to this planet to save us from our sins and to restore order to the chaos that Satan, sin, suffering, and death had created. At least four times in the New Testament, this psalm is quoted David invites us to enjoy and celebrate with him a great drama which has two parts or acts, creation and dominion. But in this psalm, he skips the interlude or the intermission between these two acts, anticipating, anticipating the redemptive ministry of Jesus, the Messiah who with his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and his ascension to glory, essentially came to this world and took back stolen property. And he now has absolute dominion. And here's the good news. He promises to share that with us. And this is our destiny. God created us to be kings and queens. And when we see ourselves as God sees us, we're not slaves to anything, whatever your struggle is. But we're sovereigns. We're not victims, but we're victors. We're not casualties, but we're conquerors. In fact, the Bible says that we can be more than conquerors. And we're not wimps or weaklings but we are winners. A little girl was a passenger on a plane that was experiencing a significant amount of turbulence. For many on the plane that night, it was frightening what was happening and unnerving. But the little girl seemed unperturbed by what was happening. So when the plane landed lady who was sitting next to this little girl asked her this question. How could you be so calm during this frightening experience in the air? The little girl looked at her and said this. She said, I was not worried because my father is the pilot using the words of the old hymn of the church. Can I tell you about my side of the family? Can I tell you about my father today? My father, my father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in his hands of rubies and diamonds, silver and gold. His coffers are full. His riches are untold. I'm a child of the king. I am a child of the king with Jesus as my savior. I'm a child. I'm a child of the king. 
My own father's son, the savior of men, once wandered on earth as the poorest of them. But now he's, he's pleading our pardon on high that we may be his when he comes by and by. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king with Jesus as my savior. I'm a child of the king because I see myself as God sees me. My duty, my dignity, and my destiny. It does not yet appear. My best days, my best days are not behind me, but because I'm a child of the king and because my father is the pilot, my best days. I know I have a witness up in this chapel. My best days are in front of me because eyes have not seen and ears have not heard what the Lord has prepared for them that know him. I would everyone know my father as I know him. God bless you. God keep you. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.